you know, some people said like, yeah, now with 3D scanning, you know, with your mobile phone, like instead of scanning a foot or a hand, you can, you can scan your own butt. But <laughs> yeah, that's quite it's a, a little more controversial, a, <laughs> a little more controversial. Sometimes we, when we talk with Martin, with my co-founder, we're like, well, this is a one-way ticket, man. I mean, if this doesn't work, I don't think about anything else in the world that I would like to do. There's only one chance and that's forward. <laughs> if I could go back in time and tell my three year older me that, you know, this is going to be so, so difficult, I would have never started, but that's always good, you know, to start and don't think too much, you know, how hard it can get and then just deal with the things on the go. Hello and welcome to Venture Vibes, the show where we hang out with people who build cool shit. Today we're hanging out with Giri Duzar, who is the founder of Posedla, known for designing the world's first custom 3D printed bike saddles. So Giri, welcome to the show. Would you like to tell us about yourself? Well, thank you for having me. Just to be more specific and to give some credit to my co-founder, Martin, I'm one of the co-founders of the company. The other guy cannot be here because he has a little kid and now it's already late. We are a company that is you know, changing the way how cyclists choose their cycling components. So we are switching from mass production to mass customization. We try to make a product which is unique to each individual uh, based on a couple of things that have a great and significant impact on, on their comfort. Interesting. So, yeah. I like I like how you put that mass production to mass customization. I guess the first thing that came to mind is, you know, that's a very broad mission, right? So you're doing the 3D printed bike saddle now. Is your ambition for this company to go beyond that, to go beyond biking and things like that? Probably not beyond biking, although, you know, we see ourselves as, you know, experts on seating areas. So you know, if we make a saddle for a cyclist, why don't, why can't we make a saddle for a motorbiker or for, I don't know, a cowboy or <laughs> anyone who is basically sitting on something. But now to be serious, uh, no, we are all about, you know, contact points between the rider and the vehicle, which is, you know, a bicycle at this point. So in addition to your butt or to your seating area, you're also holding your handlebars with your hands on something that we call bicycle grips. So this is something that, you know, will be also launched soon, also custom, also 3D printed, made to measure to your hands. So you have a nice grip on your bicycle handlebars. Because, you know, our, our philosophy and our approach is based on individuality. So we are all built differently. We have different anatomy and different needs. So for example, when it comes to hands, people have different hand sizes. What a surprise. And, you know, our thumbs are also, you know, different lengths, different positions. And you would be surprised. I know sometimes it's, it's difficult for people to find the, the right accessories because, you know, but yeah, it's just the same thing like with, with fashion, you know, like sometimes you have a size M, sometimes you have a size S, sometimes you are in between. So this is the gap we are trying to fill in. Got it. And just for... Our listeners and myself who who aren't especially keen on biking, why why is that important, right? Like what's the problem with not having customized seats and bike handles? We are basically trying to cater to anyone who is who is looking to improve their comfort while cycling, but also who is 
you know, looking to prevent any, you know, health issues or, or other things like, you know, different settle sores, blood flow compression, the nerve endings compression and things like that. So I don't know about you guys, like if you ever rode a bike, you know, after a little longer time, maybe you felt numbness in your hands or in your feet or, you know, elsewhere, it could be also in your crotch. So this is probably caused by either, you know, you are sitting on a bike in a wrong position or the equipment you have underneath you is not really suited to your needs. I think my main complaint for, I enjoy biking, but I have a weird body shape. Mm -hmm. I have a very short leg mm -hmm. and a fat ass. Mm -hmm. Just so it's one short leg? Find, uh, <laughs> <laughs> in general, short legs. <laughs> so it's hard for me to find the correct, you know, configuration, especially for road bikes. Mm -hmm. It's pretty hard. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's pretty common. And you know, there are ways how to solve this using different methods that are called bike fitting. And it, and in addition to bike fitting, we are trying to provide the right equipment based on your data. So for things like, you know, how much do you weigh? What is your, what is your, how tall you are? Basically, we calculate your BMI. This is one factor that goes into the product de development, but then there are the other things, you know, like your riding position, you know, your overall flexibility, what kind of a bike you have, you know, because each bike has a different geometry, just as you said, you know, a road bike is much different than a, than a mountain bike. You are positioned completely differently. So basically we are taking all these data and putting them into an, al an algorithm and that algorithm is then creating the ideal shape just for you. That's super cool. That reminds me of, have you guys ever been to a Fleet Feet? It's mm. one of these like the footwear what? chains in the US where I, I went to one recently. There's like a, a machine that you step on that has like four sensors and cameras or something. And they just make you kind of walk back and forth. So the machine, mm -hmm. like the, the platform is long enough for you to take two steps and you just go back and forth. And you mm -hmm. can see these real-time animations of the pressure distribution mm -hmm. on the arch of your foot and your toes. And then they generate a 3D model of your feet. And they show you where you put too much pressure and mm -hmm. where you have asymmetries in your feet. And they try to use that information to fit you with the right mm -hmm. shoes. But, you know, they didn't go as far as actually customizing your shoes. They're just using that data to help fit you with an existing shoe. Mm-hmm. Okay. Interesting approach. We utilize something similar just for you know, like saddle pressure mapping. So, you know, when we were developing the product, you know, we had hundreds of prototypes, you know, tens of different test riders, and we were taking them in a lab, sitting them on a bike, using a saddle that we made for them. And then we were using these, these, these pressure maps to kind of validate that the saddle fits nicely. But, you know, our concept is a little different for the, the customer right now, because, you know, we don't have the means to open, I don't know, thousands of different branches where people would go to, to do their like pressure mapping. So we had to, you know, find a, find a way how to make the pressure mapping from distance. So actually what we are doing right now is that we are sending them a special measurement kit, which is called smiling butt kit. And that is a special impression foam where the customer, you know, sits create the imprint and then they only have to send us nine photographs of the imprint back. We connect them together, create a 3D model and basically, nice. basically a 3D model create... of your butt. Exactly. The good thing is that they are, you know, left with the imprint 
it, you know, stays home. And there is a special, special hole on the, on the kit so they can even hang it in their garage or maybe in the kitchen or <laughs> whenever. Maybe I should get seed one of these so I can see his butt imprint hung out, hung up on his garage. <laughs> yeah. You should just get one for yourself. <laughs> I know that's what you want. Wait, do you, do you have to be clothed or naked when you use the, the kit? We tell people that they should use a tight underwear with no inseams, ideally. Uh, they can also sit in the, in the foam naked because it has been tested for skin contact. So you will not get any rush or anything from it, but yeah, a tight underwear or naked, both is fine. Got it. That's pretty cool. I, I definitely, it's a hard technical problem to solve to how to like model the human body and not have it mail stuff back and forth. Exactly. You know, some people said like, yeah, now with 3D scanning, you know, with your mobile phone, like instead of scanning a foot or a hand, you can, you can scan your own butt, but yeah, that's quite it's a, a little more controversial, a, <laughs> a little more controversial. So first it's hard for you to do it yourself without, you know, anyone's assistance. And I think a lot of people I don't know, have practice. It, yeah. 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 And I don't know if another person would like to be involved in, you know, making the scan. No, I mean, the imprint is, is a much safer way and it's, it's, you know, much more reliable for us as well. Yeah. Makes sense. All right. This chat has been too caring and, you know, friendly. Let's switch gears and yeah. jump into what we call the seed rounds where we will, you know, ask you some unfair questions, mm -hmm. you know? So my question for you is as a founder, mm -hmm. right? You, you have to obviously care about the performance of your employees mm -hmm. and probably similar in Europe, but especially in the US nowadays, layoffs are a common thing, right? Mm -hmm. So I'm curious as a founder, the CEO of the company, you, you will encounter people that, you know, just don't perform on their, on their roles. Mm -hmm. How do you deal with them? Is there a proper way to fire people? Once you realize they're a good, they're not a good fit. I mean, this is something that you have to learn and, you know, we have dealt with such situations in our past, in, in our recent history of, you know, the past three years, I would say as a founder of a company, it's probably easier to, you know, lay someone off than actually doing that in a corporation because, you know, here we are doing it based on evidence and based on something, you know, on things that, that don't work. And then you are basically presented, you know, with a simple question, like, do you want to keep that person on board, even though the person is not performing well, and then, you know, you're losing money, but not getting the, the results. And, you know, once you answer this question to yourself, it is not that difficult to do that. But, you know, obviously, you know, I feel very, you know, deeply connected to every, everyone who has, you know, worked for us or who is working with us. And it is not an easy thing, you know, to do because, you know, you build relationship with those people, but also, you know, it is very unlikely for us to just, you know, fire anyone just like that. So we usually talk to, to our staff and, you know, if there is anything wrong, you know, we try to fix things, give them another chance, you know, like look at it from, from their perspective, but yeah, if, if we don't see that you know, there is any more room for improvement, then, you know, we go different ways. That's, that's how it is. So but to push on that a little bit, 
Right. For earlier companies, one theme we hear a lot from founders and investors is it's hard to discover talent because you don't have a brand that people recognize. I don't know if you've gone through that phase where, you know, a lot of the talent you're getting in come from friends or friends of friends referrals. And, you know, I think that can make it a little more complicated. It's harder to fire mm-hmm. someone that's connected to you in some personal way that's not just, you know, a, a brand new person whose relationship is purely professional. Mm-hmm. Have you have True. you had experiences like that? And how'd you handle that? Yeah. I mean, we do have in the company a lot of, you know, friends or former colleagues from our past jobs. And you're right. Those relationships are a little more complicated because you are more emotionally involved in those relationships. But, you know, searching talents in general. So, you know, we started in early 2020 when the when the pandemic started. And this is the era where no one want, would like to go back to. But, you know, for us, it was a, it was actually a good time to start a business. Like, yeah, I mean, it sounds sounds crazy, but it 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 was a really good time because most people who you know had good jobs at a time, they suddenly found themselves in a very different work situation. You know, they started to work a lot remotely. You know, all of a sudden they also had you know more time to look at you know and other opportunities and other jobs. So it was actually quite easy to, you know, talk to, you know, people that we needed at a time, which were like mechanical engineers, designers, industrial designers, people who work with 3D modeling, who know, you know, 3D printing technologies. And those people had time because, you know, they were working from, from home or they were, I don't know, maybe they were fired from their, from, from their old jobs. So it was quite, quite okay. And the second thing that kind of helped, helped us was, was the acceleration we went through. So, you know, we sent very early on a pitch deck to, uh, Prusha Research, which is a company that manufactures 3D printers. So Josef Prusha, he's a Czech guy whose company is based here in Prague and they opened up something, what is called like a hardware accelerator. And uh, yeah, we sent them our pitch deck and we were selected out of 92 companies at the time to be part of their acceleration program. And that helped tremendously because, you know, suddenly we had this validation by, by Josef and, and, you know, his company and we were part of the, the acceleration program and we were able to do a lot of stuff, you know, in, in their labs and this helped us a lot to approach people and find new talent. So, and, and, you know, they already had a lot of talented people working for them and we were lucky enough to kind of like use their services as well. So, so yeah, that, that helped a lot. Like you need to, you need to find someone who will, who will like elevate your profile, you know, early at the beginning and, and then it's not that difficult to like look for the right people. Yeah, that's super cool. cool. I, I remember when we connected first, I was like, oh, like, do you know, do you know Prusha? Do you know Yosa Prusha? And I actually have a Prusha printer in my basement and mm-hmm. I've been using it. It's been printing day and night for years. It's very reliable, mm-hmm. good machine. They just came out with a Mark IV. Uh, that's true. Not Mark, so long ago. And I'm very hyped about it. Yeah. 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 The MK4 is, is, is out. The perfect first layer. <laughs> that's yes, there. Every time. Every time. So yeah, that one is out. I think that they are doing quite well, quite well. Yeah. And you know, yeah, Josef, he's, he's such a, such a great guy. It's just, you cannot really go to an event where you have a lot of people in like, who are in the 3d printing industry 
because then you cannot have a conversation with him. Everyone is just like always around him, wants to say hi, I don't know, take a picture, yeah. et cetera. He's uh, a superstar. Uh, I mean, if I ran into him, I'd want a picture with him too. <laughs> yeah, 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 that's right. But he's also a very down-to-earth guy and, uh, you know, we are able to have great conversations. You know, he, had, he has helped us a lot to, you know, especially in the early days, I you know how to, you know, work on our like brand positioning and market strategy and things like that. So, and yeah, even though we don't use, you know, ProShop printers for making our saddles because we use industrial 3D printers, we can talk about it little later on. We still have a, like a small farm of, of like FLM, sorry, FDM printers from ProShop that we use for like tooling and, and prototypes. Super cool. Cool. So Yuri, we'd love to sort of get to know the human side of you a little bit and we'd love to mm -hmm. dive into your early days stories a little bit who are you what mm -hmm. kind of family are you from yeah well so i come from this small town in north bohemia which is you know in the north of the czech republic right on the borders of germany and i was very lucky because i was growing up in a, in a small town which had a lot of great you know places to uh, go outdoors you know like we have a national park right at our you know doorstep and also you know we are quite a quite a, a big family, which is really into cycling, especially my father who has been cycling, you know, ever since I remember. So even like in the early nineties, he already had some like vintage road bike and he was, you know, participating in local races. And, you know, then uh, as I was getting older, I, you know, he was working all the time, like really like late. Uh, like uh, each day and in the evenings he was still able to do like, I don't know, 60, 60 miles on a bike. And, you know, also weekends was mostly spent on a bike, like either racing or riding with someone. So he was really obsessed with cycling, I would say. So, uh, so yeah, that's, that's why I also, you know, picked up cycling as my go-to sport. Although it has never been on a, on a, like athletic level as, as you know, his was. But yeah, so it's basically, you know, it was him who, who brought me to, to, to cycling and to, to explore the, the world from, from the two wheels. It's <laughs> very cool. Was mm -hmm. biking a big common hobby there or was it somewhat unique to your dad? It was, it was a big thing, you know, up in the North and it still is until these days, actually, you know, we are, we are recording this before a weekend, which we'll see a, like a national championship, which will take place, you know, in the North of the Czech Republic. So we will have professional teams racing a local course, which is super exciting. And, you know, there's a lot of clubs, I know also, you know, in, in that small town where I'm from, this is where we have our manufacturing facility. So we are planning to do like factory visits so people can come and see, you know, how we make the, make the product there. And uh, yeah, I also, I'm also very lucky that, you know, my co-founder, he also comes from that little town. We are actually, you know, high school friends. So we met in 1998 <laughs> when we were 14 years old <laughs> and no, no, sorry. We were 12 years old actually <laughs> at a time. And, and yeah, well, that friendship, you know, survived until, until you know, these days and after the university, we both went, you know, separate ways. He was more in marketing research. I was more in marketing communication and marketing strategy. But uh, yeah, in early 2020, I came back from my old job, which was in New York, in, in United States. He also was uh, like on the verge of quitting his job and, and uh, yeah, we decided that 
you know, we will start a company and we will, you know, dedicate our life mission to, to cycling. <laughs> I'm also interested in, so I know you're, you're from Czech Republic and it has a lot of fascinating histories known for have, you know, proportionally have a lot of great physicists, you know, writers. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm curious, how does the, the history, how does the culture mm -hmm. affected you growing up? Because you have experience living in the US as well to see kind of different cultures. Mm -hmm. What would you say that the culture from where you grew up affected you? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, to be honest, you know, like growing up in that small town after high school, there was nothing that I wished more than to leave that place because it just felt too small. So, you know, I was lucky during my university studies, I was already, you know, studying abroad. I lived in Turkey for a year. Then I had some, you know, part-time jobs in Ireland, in Norway, just always wanted to, you know, venture out and, and see what's out there. And, you know, then I like, you know, moved to the U.S. for five years. And at the end of 2019, I kind of, you know, felt that, you know, I've seen a lot and it's time for me to go back. By going back, I first thought that I will, you know, settle in Prague, but Nowadays, you know, I appreciate more and more the, the vibe my hometown has, you know, it has a quite a, quite a rich history in, you know, manufacturing. So, you know, it was very famous for textile manufacturing back in like early 20th centuries. So, you know, big factories making, you know, clothing, stockings, things like that were made there. But then obviously, you know, quite a troubled time came up, you know, the, the world wars. Then, you know, like 40 years of uh, kind of like Soviet oppression killed like all the entrepreneurship down. So there was like nothing going on. Everything was like state owned. And, and obviously, you know, I know this only from stories from my family, you know, from my grandparents and from my parents. But then, you know, in 1989, we had the, the Velvet Revolution. Everything changed and we were again, you know, trying to be on a path to like free market democracy and, and uh, yeah, now, you know, if we go back to our hometown, we still see a lot of old factories, which are now more like, uh, like a brown fields. So nothing is really happening there. So, you know, part of our mission is also to bring uh, back the golden era of, of manufacturing, but also in a modern way, you know, like something that we right. call like smart manufacturing. You know, using, right. using advanced technologies that are not damaging to the environment, but yeah, building up on that, on that strong heritage for sure. Makes sense. It's pretty interesting that you boomeranged around a little bit, right? Going from can't stand staying here. I want to get out there to, you know, going and living and working in the U S and then your path led you all the way back there. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's crazy to imagine that, you know, three years ago, I was living in a city with 8.6 million people. You know, I was commuting every day from Bed-Stuy, Brooklyn to Upper East Side, Manhattan on a, on a, on a subway train and, you know, surrounded with people from, you know, all over. I love that, you know, like it was a, it was a the, the time of my life, I would say, you know, like I was still in my late twenties, early thirties at the time. So really, you know great, great time to be there. And, you know, maybe now I'm still like ro romanticizing my return to, to my hometown, you know, like now I'm also a little older, you know, I have a wife, you know, we are planning to have a family one day. So 
I would actually be happier to have a family in a, in a small town with, you know, with a, with a good access to nature than to be, you know, in a, in a big city with like limited options for, for sports and stuff like that. Hmm. So what was the, what was the core reason that you decided that New York and, you know, living in the U S wasn't for you that you wanted to return home? Hmm. Well, I would say, you know, my, my nowadays wife played a big role. Where did you meet? Did you meet in the U S or? Yeah. Yeah. We met in the U S even though we are both from the Czech Republic, you know, she was there on a, on a business trip and we, we got introduced through a friend and, uh, you know, started dating and, but she wasn't, she, she never worked in, in New York. She was only visiting, you know, through her old job. And we had like a year and a half long, long distance relationship. And yeah, at the end of 2019, she finally said like, you better come back to Europe or, you know, this, this is leading nowhere. <laughs> and so that's, that's one part of the, of, of my motivation to come back. But the second part was that. You know, I was working for a company called Czech Tourism or Visit Czech Republic. So it's a, it's a destination marketing organization that promotes the beauties of the Czech Republic in the United States and Canada. You know, we did amazing projects like, you know, trying to facilitate a nonstop flight between U.S. and the Czech Republic, market those routes and, you know, like bring the Czech Republic closer to, to the American and Canadian audience. You know, worked with influencers, created a lot of great content and, you know, in, in general, it was, it was a great experience, but yeah, I just basically felt that I need to move on it. You know, I want to utilize my skills and build something of my own. So even during the time when I was working for the tourism board, I was already, you know, creating content, you know, doing photography, video and stuff like that. So I kind of knew how to, uh, how to hassle and like work with clients. And this is also something that I tried to do, you know, when I returned here in early 2020, but then I realized I don't want to deal with clients anymore. And I don't want to deal with, you know, having a boss and, and being, being a part of the company. So starting one was probably the only option. <laughs> and tell us a little bit more about starting Pasetla. It sounds mm-hmm. like it's not the first thing you've started first, like. Do you consider yourself like an, a serial entrepreneur? Have you done like a bunch of other stuff that maybe didn't make it onto your resume? Or is this really one of the more f- serious first like startups? I would say this is the, the first serious startup. I don't have a vast experience of starting companies and failing quickly and admitting this to myself and then like finding a new idea. You know, sometimes we, when we talk with Martin, with my co-founder, we are like, well, this is a one-way ticket, man. I mean, if this doesn't work. I don't think about anything else in the world that I would like to do. There's only one chance and that's forward. <laughs> that sounds awesome. I mean, it sounds like you really love what you do, which is great. Yeah. What led to the idea of creating a company and taking that plunge? Mm-hmm. So because it was, you know, COVID and you couldn't really do much. You know, sometimes you had these weird restrictions where you couldn't even go out for a run or you couldn't leave the, the the borders of your region where you live. The only thing you could do is to like come up, come up with an excuse that you are going for a sporting event or something. So obviously we found a lot of excuses to go out and cycle. So we spent a lot of time on our bicycles. So we did like hundred miles a day trips, you know, multiple days in a row, just, you know, to like clearing our head, talking about life. You know, I was at the time when, you know, I left my old job, I was like taking a break hustling for a few clients. 
you know, he was unhappy with his old job, you know, which was, which was a very good, you know, well-paid, respected corporate job, but he just felt like, yeah, it's been, it's been too much. And basically through our unpleasant experience with the bike saddles that we had at the time, I know we had a lot of saddle sores after finishing those trips, we were looking at ways how to, how to deal with this. And it was mainly Martin's idea actually, because he was like doing a lot of research on where to get, you know, a saddle that will fit him. He went to like a bunch of shops and he realized that it's a, it's always, you know, trial and error. Like you are presented with a saddle, like, yeah, you get to try it. Doesn't work, you know, looking for another one. So he, he kind of like put together a small, like a business canvas where he basically described, you know, what the problem was, you know, how this could be solved and if there is a market for this. So we very quickly started uh, the LLC, you know, and quit all the things that we, we did before. So I stopped hustling for my old clients. Martin quit his job and we basically, you know, dedicated ourselves to do this full time. Cool. To level set a little bit. So how large is, is your company? Would you say it's like pre-seed or yeah. how many employees you have? Yeah. So we have 10, 10 employees at this point. So, you know, one half is working, you know, here with the, with the, in the office, you know, product development, business development, logistics, things like that. I still, you know, oversee, let's say much of the marketing, you know, things, but then we work with, you know, a bunch of people externally as well, you know, like creators, but also some other designers and, and, and professionals. And then we got like, yeah, like five people plus some part-time workers in the manufacturing facility in the North that, you know, do the, the, the manufacturing part. Hmm. Cool. Um, and what would you say is your biggest learning so far? For a journey there has been so many but yeah well which one was the biggest <laughs> but it basically it basically has something to do you know with your vision that if you really like set your eyes on something and 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 you try to like stick with the idea and you know you you don't stop until it's fully done that's 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 the approach that is helping helping us we also think that I think it was very beneficial for us not to know at the beginning how tough the job will be, how mm. you know costly it will mm. be to, to develop the whole manufacturing process and and how to acquire the technologies and and we didn't know how str how stressful it is going to be. So you know basically, if I could go back in time and tell my three year older me that you know this is going to be so so difficult, I would have never started it, but. That's always good, you know, to start and don't think too much, you know, how hard it can get and then just deal with the things on the go. That's very interesting. Mm -hmm. We've heard this theme from some founders that, you know, the, the role of founders is glorified, right? People mm -hmm. think of a founder, they think of a very romantic idea of being your own boss, you know, owning your destiny, all that. But really in reality, founding is very difficult. It's a very stressful very long, hmm. difficult journey for most. You mentioned that if you had gone back in time and told yourself before you started the company how difficult this would be, you would never have started the company. Hmm. My question is, would you? Would you, If you could go back in time and tell yourself how difficult it would be, 
would you do that or would you actually withhold that information and, and so that he yeah, would start I, the company anyway? I would withhold that information for sure. <laughs> because, you know, I don't know. It's just like what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. <laughs> so even though you have to deal with difficult situations, there is always a way out. But yeah, you're right. You know, a role of a founder or, or a co-founder isn't easy. You know, there is not many people who will, you know, pat your shoulder and tell you like, oh, you did such a good, good job. Like no one, no one, no one tells you that. I mean, you kind of have to go around your team and do this, you know, for your teammates and for your colleagues. So just to keep them motivated yeah. and. And, but also I think, you know, a, a big element is that, you know, I feel that I'm not alone in this. So, you know, I have a great appreciation, you know, for people who are able to start a company on their own, like to be there, to be a sole founder, because like, you know, if there's two and if you, you know, trust each other and can share, you know, whatever comes to your mind, you know, freely with no filter on that helps a lot, you know, and if a certain person gets you because you know, he knows your personality and he knows, you know, how we are dealing and processing things. He, he immediately knows, you know, how to calm me down or how to, you know, like give you a calming perspective or, you know, one day it happens that I have a clear vision and Martin is, you know, angry about something. So it's me who is like, you know, pushing things forward, but you know, next day it can be completely opposite and, uh, you know, have someone that you can rely on. That's just priceless really. So. Makes sense. There, yeah. I'm also curious. We ask this question to you know all the all the guests come on our podcasts. What is success to you? What drives you daily? Mm -hmm. You mentioned that you basically trick your younger self to still <laughs> do this journey known as entrepreneurship, even though it's pretty hard road, right? There must be something that drives you daily. Mm -hmm. Like, what's the finish line? What do you think is the you know the ultimate success yeah. for you? Hmm. Mm -hmm. There's a, there is, you know, a couple things. So, you know, one thing is when we finished the product development and we realized that we not only, you know, made something, we actually invented something that, that works the way we intended it to work, you know, that it actually can, can produce what we envisioned from the start. I mean, that was the great satisfaction. So it was this kind of feeling that, you know, we really made it and we could call ourselves uh, the first company in the world, which is offering a full, you know, customization using 3D printing because no one else has achieved it until, until this point. So that's one thing. And then, you know, if you are able to, to transfer this on your customers and they tell you uh, that, you know, they feel great, you know, using this product and that, you know, we did a great job. That's just, uh, that's, that's, that's a great reward. And third and, you know, last but not least is also, you know, getting, getting feedback from your team. We, I think were able to create like a good working environment for them, where they feel, you know, safe. They feel that they are getting paid, you know, what they, what they deserved, which is definitely, you know, above average, what is, you know, usual for that region. That's rewarding, you know, like being able to give someone opportunity to have a good job in, in the region where I come from. So, yeah. That's one of the most down-to-earth answer I've heard <laughs> we so hear far. We hear a lot of very lofty answers. That's very abstract. Like, I love uh, this one. <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> but I'm thinking, like, what would be a, a more lofty oh. answer? <laughs> the most common one we hear is impact, some kind of near mathematical definition of I'm making the world a better place and shaping it in my image. 
Oh, Though yeah. I think what you're what you're describing here, I can fully empathize with. I think you mentioned three things, right? Mm-hmm. One, creating something new that works. Totally get that. You know, mm-hmm. I've made apps that people download on their phone, and I get emails from people once in a while. Maybe there's mm-hmm. only 200 people using the app, but mm-hmm. it feels good that you've built something that people care about, mm-hmm. right? And people telling you something you created is good is obviously like that's validating. And finally, mm-hmm. you know, this idea of creating good careers for those around you. To, mm-hmm. to help those people raise good families and have a good life, mm-hmm. right? Those are, I think, much more, what's the word? Like emotionally relatable. Like I can feel why that would make you feel happy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. As opposed to like impact, like, okay, what, what does that yeah, mean? Yeah, like you will be a happier person, <laughs> basically, because it's a much more measurable goal, I would say. Yeah. I mean, there are obviously, you know, other things that make me happy. Like it makes me happy when I get up early from my job and go cycling, but, <laughs> but uh, That's true. not today. That's true. Not Maybe today. you can have both one day, right? <laughs> Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> is that what success looks like? Being able to make all this impact, bring a new product to the world that people love mm-hmm. and making good careers, but still having that work-life balance, if you will, of mm-hmm. being able to go on the bike and do what mm-hmm. you want with your own time. Yeah, definitely. Work-life balance is something, you know, that's essential for me because, you know, I just don't want to compromise my my sanity to, to like being, you know, at work all the time. I mean, I do work a lot, you know, like 10 hours a day is, is on average. Sometimes it's more, sometimes it's less depends, you know, on, on the day, but still, you know, when I leave the office, I turn off notifications and, you know, try to keep completely offline, like be present, focus on food and just like things around me and what also drives me forward is really like, you know, being able to go out and when we have events, shows, trade shows, just be out there and, you know, talk to people just that's, that's, that's super cool. Or, you know, if somebody just approaches me and, and, and they tell me like, I know your voice because we listened to your podcast. <laughs> yeah. So that's a great thing. That's awesome. Maybe we can co-publish this episode or something. Uh, we can yeah. share the file. We'll figure that out. Yeah. <laughs> I do want to push on the success thing one more bit. A very common theme that I think people don't like to dwell on, but they imply, is part of success means to be financially well-off, mm-hmm. right? to be rich, to make money. Mm-hmm. And you know, I, I think it's frowned upon, I think, in our society to talk about money too much, even though it's very important. Mm-hmm. How much of this matters to you? Do you feel that financial success is actually important for your definition of success and fulfillment? Well, if I said no, it would sound, you know, hypocritical. I mean, of course, you know, the, the financial aspect is crucial, you know, in like scaling the business and growing it, you know, in, in like bring more innovations. And also it is, you know, part of the satisfaction as well. Like, you know, if, you know, we are good at what we are, what we are doing, you know, we can get better bikes, better cars, better houses. <laughs> I mean, things that you know, make us objectively happy. I'm not too much like into like expensive stuff or buying expensive things. If you come from a modest background, you know, some people, they have this urge to, yeah, be rich. I don't know what, what it even means to be rich. Like, can you, can you like put some, some quality marks on this? You know, like if you go to. I don't know, a cinema, do you have a different experience from like watching the movie if you're rich or, yeah. no, I mean, just like, 
as you, as you can, if you produce that movie, <laughs> if you produce that movie, that's right. <laughs> but uh, I mean, I don't want to get like too philosophical about this. I mean, of course, you know, money and finances and like economic health of a company is, is vital for, you know, for the growth, but it is not the main thing that, you know, drives me forward. I don't know if you, if you expected me that, you know, my, my, my dream is to have like a, like a gold, gold plated helicopter or something. <laughs> Sorry. I to mean, that would, point. that would be something, right? <laughs> that would be something very specific, <laughs> at least. Yuri, thank you so much for sharing your story. So next, let's go over to the deep question section where we're just a few friends hanging out, talking about whatever is on our mind. So Yuri, you mentioned you wanted to talk to talk about a specific topic earlier. Could you cue that up for us? Sure. No, you know, I, I was also interested to learn a little bit more about you guys <laughs> because we have one thing in common and that's something that we are not. So we, we all happen to appear in the United States one way or another, I don't know. So I just wanted to ask about your, you know, like journey to, you know, where you are right now, if you. I think Hansen, when we spoke early, you said that you are originally from China, right? Mm -hmm. Both of us are. So what what of you are? Okay. Yep. So yeah, I was just, you know, curious to hear how it was for you guys to, you know, like to make it (laughs) in the US. I can start. So my my journey to the West, I would say is is a pretty standard one for a lot of Chinese people. I went here for college, similar to Hansen. And prior to that, you know, born and raised in China. I consider myself more Chinese than Hanson mm-hmm. <laughs> in a lot of different true. ways. Uh, <laughs> well, I speak better Chinese. For one That's thing. also not but, true. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, but uh, so yeah, like I said, I went here for college, then basically stay here after graduation, mostly staying in Boston after graduation. I would say that's a pretty standard, standard story. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my Hansen? backstory is pretty similar. Born and raised in China, came here for college. And, you know, I, I think there's some, you know, there's some like related deeper questions there about why we came here in the first place. Why did we choose to stay after graduation? And, you know, maybe around whether we see ourselves here for the long term or whether we see us leaving. Right. Yeah. And what are some of the like factors mm-hmm. there that we could dig into? But, yeah, I, I yeah. mainly, you know, to answer those questions, I, I came here because I wanted an alternative to the Chinese higher education system, which at least when we were growing up had less than ideal reputation unless you can get into the best of schools. And also because I think we got to an age where I was lucky enough to be in their circumstance where my parents could barely support me to come to the US. So, you know, as a young teenager, you're, you're kind of just like, wow, I want to go see the world, right? Why wouldn't you? Sure. And And this impression of the US was so positive back then, right? This was before you know, the, I think the relationships between the countries really got very tense in the recent years. Mm-hmm. This was before mm-hmm. that. So I grew up in an era where we got to know the U.S. through pop culture, Hollywood movies, pop music. It was just such a glamorous place, right? It, I, I loved the idea of coming to the U.S. where everybody was there to start something, everything innovative, you know, all the scientific breakthroughs, all the tech startups, all the things I was so enamored with was here. So of course I wanted to be here. And after graduation, it just became a, frankly, a path of least resistance kind of thing where, well, I already have a degree here and there's a job offer for me. Why would I want to go back and reset my career? Like, why don't I just work here for a few years and see where it leads? It wasn't really a long-term mm. plan to to immigrate or anything like that. It was just one step at a time. Mm-hmm. And now, like, do you see yourself staying in the U.S. for good or 
because, you know, I made a decision of leaving the States and, you know, decided to come back to, love. to Europe. So, <laughs> yeah, I mean, for me, I, I'm definitely not going to stay most like in the West, I would say in general, in the long run. I see myself back in Asia. I, I do think that's where the future is. And on a personal level, I feel, enjoy the food, enjoy the culture much more than, you know, the things offered in the, in the West. Like I, you know, no offense to burger and fries, but I don't see myself <laughs> eating that <laughs> more than one time every three months, right? It's like, I don't know, just in terms of the, the food choice, in terms of the culture, I much prefer Asia. And I, I do want to stay closer to my family mm -hmm. when they grow even older, right? So that that's on a personal level, a very important factor for me. I got to say that what I miss most about New York is Asian food. <laughs> how, how crazy is that? Yeah. I mean, you can get really, have new, pretty good Asian really decent yeah. Asian food in New York. Um, yes. Not yeah. that good Asian food here in, in the center of Europe, although we have pretty large Vietnamese community in the Czech Republic. So if you are craving the fall soup for, for lunch or dinner, there is a, an abundance of, of fall places around here. You're making me hungry. But, <laughs> yeah. yeah. But even better Asian food is than than... New York City is in Asia, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, no, but, but that would be, at least that's, that's what I currently think. Mm -hmm. No, I, I get the part of the, with the, you know, being back to your culture where you feel more comfortable and more related to, you know, for me, it's actually not really about the culture because, you know, the mm -hmm. society in the Czech Republic nowadays is very homogeneous, just to, yeah, just to, just to put it, you know, you know, blank, you know, everyone looks the same. We are all white and boring. And, and I, I got, I got really used to the, the, the life I had in New York when, you know, I saw people from all over the world, different cultures, different religions who were able to, you know, live in the same city together, respect each other and, you know, create something extraordinary together, you know, like in terms of art, you know, even in the world of business and finances. You know, there's just like so much diversity that produces great ideas. And, you know, here I like from the cultural point of view, I feel a little bored to be honest, because we all look the same. So fortunately, you know, there are other countries in Europe we can travel to and, you know, be in touch with people, but yeah. I, I do want to sort of go, go back to the previous topic a little bit. Right. And I want to ask a little bit yep. more here. You mentioned you know, other than the fact that your wife wanted to move back to Czech, you mentioned something about not seeing yourself with the support network in the U.S. Can you elaborate on that? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I you know. I really had a good life in, in the U.S. I didn't feel like I'm missing anything. But then I also realized that I'm only in my late 20s, early 30s. And if I want to be serious about my life in the U.S., I should start thinking about starting a family there maybe owning a property, you know, further down, down the line and start thinking about my future. And because I came there with, you know, like no support, basically didn't have any tremendous savings. And, you know, I wasn't able to make much more money than I made at the time. I some, somehow realized that maybe I'm chasing something I'm not able to, to achieve and, you know, then I started to get a little afraid that, you know, I will be, you know, 45 and I will still live in a, in a, in an apartment that I'm renting and I'm not moving anywhere. 
Mm-hmm. So, and also, you know, my family, my whole family is in the Czech Republic. All of my friends are here. So the whole support network was, was, was here. And right. I just felt that, yeah, this is my place. You know, this is where I can start something and, and feel, feel confident that I have more control over this, you know, because I also know this environment in terms of, you know, the, the legal stuff, taxes, paperwork, permits. Yeah. Like starting, starting a business as a, as a, as an alien <laughs> in the U S although I don't like that, that, you know, expression for I people think it's who hilarious move. that we're considered it's hilarious, aliens. right? <laughs> they are real. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So yeah, just, you know, giving you an example, like if we yeah. wanted to start Posadla in the U.S., it would have been much more difficult journey and we would have to raise much more money at, at the start to even, to even produce, you know, the first prototypes and, yeah. and, you know, to launch. So I definitely feel that. I think Seed and I talk about this often. We want to start a company and we talk to all the people who, you know, either start a companies or are in that ecosystem. And it is hard for foreigners, mm-hmm. aliens, if you will, to come to the U.S. and start yeah. a company. And I think there's a broader conversation we could really go down and spend a lot more time, maybe not today, about mm-hmm. you know whether it's a good or bad idea, even selfishly just for the U.S. economy, to make it so hard for people who want to start mm-hmm. businesses. I love you know, what I learned in the United States. I really like the country. I like the people. Well, everyone, obviously, you know. <laughs> when we talk about politics, it can get a little heated. But I, I loved, you know, my bubble in New York and that was, that was just, just amazing. I knew that one day I would, you know, like to, you know, keep in touch with the U.S. maybe through business because I know that Americans are great customers. You know, they are into new stuff and it's actually amazing. We launched, you know, less than a year ago and we already have clients in 16 U.S. states. So because, you know, Americans are super interested in like new things, gadgets and everything that's customized. So, uh, so yeah, actually through my business, I'm able to keep in touch with, with the U.S. even though I'm no longer there. <laughs> hmm. And maybe through this pod as well, in some way. Yeah. Even though we're both, right. we're all aliens here. So <laughs> in some sense. Yeah. Where's your UFO? <laughs> That's what I drive. Yeah, I, I do think what you said is interesting as well, right? Like on paper, you know, like everybody understands you go to, a, especially the U.S., you go to certain neighborhoods, there's concentrations of certain populations, right? Oh, this mm-hmm. is a Polish neighborhood. This is a Czech neighborhood. Mm-hmm. This is a Chinese neighborhood. This is an Italian neighborhood. And the more I talk to people who, you know, either attempted to immigrate or considered immigration or their their ancestors came here, the more I realize that a lot of people come here in droves. They come here in communities. Like there are villages of people from China who immigrated to the U.S. where like, you know, a good chunk of a whole town moved over. And so, you know, mm-hmm. when you talk about that support network, it kind of makes sense, right? If we all came here in our 20s, right? And we're young enough to make a lot of friends. But I also feel like we carry enough connection of friends and families from back home mm-hmm. that it's not so easy to build that support network again here. Unless, which like the easy solution is to have a community of people who share your background. Right. Whereas I think for all three of us, it seemed like nobody from that back home friend and family circle made it here. It was just us and the friends we've made. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, there, were, there used to be like a like a Bohemian village in New York, 
actually situated on Upper East Side of Manhattan between the, the, the 60th and, and like 80th Street. But, you know, even though like there is a Chinatown, you probably you know, don't feel, you know, so much related to it for those reasons that you mentioned, right? I mean, yeah. you can probably find there very good food. I mean, I, I love going for, for Chinese food to Chinatown. So, yes. Yeah, Chinatown doesn't look remotely look like China mm -hmm. nowadays. Yeah, yeah. So, there, it, it was uh, a different era but, of immigration too, right? We're a very different mm -hmm. wave of yeah. sort of like Chinese expats than they yeah. were. Mm -hmm. And I think, I think you know, your wave, yeah. and, and I'm not here to judge or or maybe I'm wrong, but I think your your approach to this, like of, like moving to the United States is very different because you wanted to, you know, pursue the good education in the United States. You know, you found a good job. You became a professional in what you do. And, you know, you learned the language, you know, perfectly. You just seem like, you know, you, like, what is the right word? Like integrated, you know, in the society that, you know, if you told me that, oh, you know, I was born in the U.S., I would have no reason not to believe you. So it's very much different than, you know, the generations before you who basically, you know, created those communities and stayed close within those communities. So, yeah, that's I it. think it's a weird, uh, like, you know, it's a weird phenomenon. I feel people have easier time to integrate when they have a core identity. I feel like you almost fail, will fail to integrate if you try too hard, basically, mm -hmm. or if you don't know you're different from the main culture you kind of just lose yourself basically in the process. Mm -hmm. And I also feel the current definition, the mainstream definition of diversity is pretty, pretty broken. I feel like just by putting a bunch of people into one university and hope them integrates is not diversity, right? Mm -hmm. Like it, it's diversity for show. And, and that's something I, I really don't like about <laughs> a lot of, you know, a lot of stuff happening in the U.S. Mm -hmm. is this diversity for show mm -hmm. effort. Mm -hmm. I think there is almost a uncanny valley when you try to integrate. I feel that there is an uncanny valley in the culture as well, where if you're clearly a foreigner, I think for you and for the American, like locals say, they both know where to put, what bucket to put you into. And they can mm -hmm. be very friendly to foreigners. There's a lot of Americans, some of the most generous people, most friendly people I've met, right? And they'll mm -hmm. say, oh, where are you from? Oh, you're from China. I love that. Like, let me show you around. Let me, you know, I want to learn more about you. If you strike them directly as an American, they also know what bucket to put you into. But it's when you're mm -hmm. just in between where you're almost American, but you're not quite, and you don't, and you want to be seen as American, that's like kind of a difficult place to be. Because you're constantly mm -hmm. seeking that kind of like approval and you're kind of wondering, do they really accept me? I don't want people mm -hmm. to think of me too much, you know, based on the, the angle of where I'm from. I want to be seen as an individual, right? Yeah. No, I have to say that this is something that I also didn't enjoy because, you know, sometimes people didn't ask me about my background, but, you know, some sometimes people, they are sensitive to accents, so... They hear that there is something a little off that, you know, I'm not like, there, there is some, some foreign accent. You have a pretty sexy accent. Though. Oh, thank you. <laughs> we know Seed's type at this point. We interviewed two people from Europe and Seed's been all over your accent. Right. But I don't know, just answering this question, like where I'm from, like 20 times in a week, it becomes kind of, <laughs> kind of, kind of un like uncomfortable, but 
Mm-hmm. Also, it's funny, like, you know, in New York, almost no one asked me where I'm from. Like, they, would, they just, you know, because they'd have as... to ask that 20 times a day and it would get uncomfortable because everyone's from somewhere. Yeah, right? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So it was, it was actually quite, quite nice and quite easy. I did travel a lot and, and that was also great because I really wanted to explore, you know, what the rest of the U.S. looks like. So I was very fortunate that I visited 35 states during those five years. So when I, you know, told this to someone who was born in the United States, they said like, oh, you've been to more places than I've ever been to. And I took a big, big pride in this (laughs) because I really feel that, you know, I see, I saw all corners of the United States. I got a pretty, pretty good understanding of you know, what the country is, you know, what are the different like regional problems, et cetera. But yeah, every time I traveled outside of, of, of New York and if it wasn't California and it was, you know, some rural part in Alabama or Arkansas, it was always like, oh, who is this, who is this guy? Where is he from? <laughs> oh. yeah. Cool. No, thank you guys. It was really great talking to you. You know, those two hours passed like this and i feel like i feel like i was talking to friends you know who i who i have been hanging out with in the past so uh, it was it was great and uh, yeah anytime you come to prague feel free to let me know happy to show you around and show you how to eat czech dumplings and and drink czech beer (laughs) and thank you and thank you for a ride on the bike (laughs) awesome thank you so much all right